Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Welcome, everyone, to a fresh edition of GTF, Gabriel Talks Football. My name is Aldo Gandia, and we are going to talk today about process. A lot of people focus in on evaluating the players, the prospects that are coming up, but there's a lot more to having a successful draft and proper evaluation of players, and that is process. You've got to do a lot of stuff. And so Greg is going to help us uh, learn a little bit about the things that go on in preparing for a successful draft. I also want to let you know that if you want pure scouting reports on players, now the place to go to is patreon.com barroom draft. $10 for the entire month. You're, there are already about 100 videos from Greg and, and Danny Shimon with scouting reports, detailed scouting reports on players, and we're dropping another 100 by the time draft day rolls around. So it's a great bargain. You go to the newsstand, you pick up a magazine for 10 bucks. This is uh, 10 bucks of video related draft uh, information. And I'll show you a little sample of a recent report that Greg did on wide receiver Marvin Mims. Marvin Mims, Oklahoma. This past year, 54 catches, 1,083 yards, six touchdowns. The year before, 32 catches, 705 yards, five touchdowns, mostly a slot. Does play outside some. I think he's a slot. Um, in the NFL, he does return punts. He's quick, fast, consistently gets open. He gets in and out of cuts very, very quickly. He's, you know, his his agility and his flexibility are just excellent for a little guy. You know, five ten guy. He's got a huge catch radius. Uh, you know, I, 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 you could compare him with. Um, Mooney on the catch radius, because I think Mooney's got a, a rare catch radius, especially for a, a guy who's as slight as he is. And this guy, a little bit thicker than, than Darnell is. Uh, he makes a lot of extended catches. Most of the time, when you're watching tape of this guy, when he gets behind somebody, it's all over. Touchdown. Mm-hmm. You aren't going to catch him from behind. I saw one play in all the tape I looked at where he got caught and that guy had the angle. Uh, otherwise, you know, this this guy's got a lot of speed. He's going to be a pretty good pro. So, and and his returnability, you know, as soon as he walks into your locker room, he's going to be your number one punt returner. It looks to be a very athletic receiver. He's somebody who is definitely a guy to keep an eye on because you love those guys who can uh, make great catches out of uh, an inaccurate throw. Yeah. And and they Oklahoma, this guy, you know, big numbers. Oklahoma lost their quarterback to SC. Oh, you know, the right. quarterback, he transfers to SC, and he's the, the favorite for the Heisman next year and the favorite mm-hmm. to be the – the first quarterback taken a year mm-hmm. from now. So, mm-hmm. uh, and yet he still put up really good numbers. He, he's an exciting player. Yeah. I love this stuff. I love working on this project with Danny and the great Greg Gabriel. Let me bring in Greg now. Greg, how are you, my friend? How much do I owe you for that shit? <laughs> <laughs> I owe you. <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> Great work, my friend. Uh, we've got about uh, 15 reports from you on wide receivers. Many more reports are dropping over the next few days, and it's just great. I got fun. a few more I, I got to do because I keep getting names. So, yeah, we got to figure out a time to do them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we are going to talk process today. Uh, but before we do that, I saw uh, I, I tried to avoid uh, Twitter uh, this weekend because of the holiday, but I did take a peek at some of the stuff going on on Saturday. And there were all sorts of tweets going on about Jalen Carter. As we all know, he visited with the Bears early last week. And so, of course, now the rumors have started. The Bears are definitely going to take Jalen Carter, blah, blah, blah. What are you hearing about Jalen Carter? And, of course, tell us just one more time, this is the lying season. <laughs> well, it, it, it is. It, it's the lying season. But some people tell you the truth. In fact, the late John Butler used to be the, the general manager for the Buffalo Bills for a long time. And then the uh, San Diego Chargers after that, John never told you a lie. He told you the truth that everybody assumed he was lying. Well, I'm going to draft so-and-so in the first round. Yeah, yeah, right. And then the draft come along and didn't take him. <laughs> you know, I might as well be up front because they're all going to think I'm full of shit to begin with, you know, and then go, go from there. And John was a good guy and a great guy. We used to play uh, at, at the the old blue gray game, which doesn't exist anymore, and at the senior bowl, East West, we you know, group of about eight of us would get together and play poker at about two or three in the morning. And he was a great poker player. Mm -hmm. oh. um, and, you know, and, and part of doing these reports with you, I actually take out some of the great stories you share because we, we would have videos that are 30 minutes long, but I'm saving them all. And, and some, sometime in the future, I'm going to edit those together because you've shared some really fascinating stories about your people that you've met, players that you've scouted in the past and so forth. Perhaps that's another Patreon project. You know what I, I would love to do with you, Greg, is like a, a, a scouting masterclass. Charge $5. Anybody that's interested in being a scout, you used to teach a class, and Danny Shimon was one of your pupils, right? Yeah, that was with uh, National Football Post. Yeah, so maybe that we was like a, it was like a 10-week course. You know, we do it by position. I still got the original stuff, the DVD and the book, what was left. I mean, yeah. and then we did one year, then we did an in-person thing. It was like a seminar, a weekend seminar. Uh -huh. and, and Mike McCartney came in and talked. Uh, you know, it was it was a lot of fun. And Danny was at that. We had mm. that down, that was downtown. I forgot what year it was. Might have been fifteen around in there. Mm -hmm. It was a while wow. ago. Yeah, and he uh, he refers to that material uh, often when we talk. Uh, so what is what have you heard about uh, Jalen Carter? Robert says, I hope George McCaskey picks up Jalen at the airport or that he, he took an Uber to Alice Hall. Um, what, uh, what, what do you think? What are your thoughts about Jalen Carter? Anything you want to share? Well, to me, he's an enigma. You know, you know, there's no questioning his talent. Okay, now, and I, I say this a lot, with, with defensive linemen, th there's got to be some give and take. Uh, sometimes they don't always play to the level they should play. They got a little, as we used to say when I was with the Bears, they got a little shit in their neck, and um, you got to learn to live with it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, 
Talent-wise, he's probably raw talent, the best player in the draft. Does he play like that every game or every snap? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. But he did have some injury issues this year, so you got to throw him a bone for that. And then, but I was talking, and the same guy gave me the one rumor I will give out in a second. Um, I was talking to a guy Friday who was pretty close to some situations, and he said, "What's out there in the public, and what's real, as far as the the." drag racing accident where two people unfortunately lost their lives. He said, it's not all out there. And a lot of it is not disfavorable to Jalen Carter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, we got into the pro day and there's a lot of people that want to throw him a pass on the pro day because number one, he had court literally the next morning. Yeah, right, right. A few weeks before he loses a good friend, a good a teammate and a friend, mm-hmm. worked in the recruiting office in this accident. You're a 21 year old kid. That's going to affect anybody. So I, I, I'm sure it had a large effect on his training. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what it gets down to is talking to the people at the University of Georgia and talking to a lot of them. And, and see if you can get any conflicting reports. And, and, and the people you talk to, not just the coaches, talk to the people, you know, in the periphery, talk to the equipment people, the trainers. Uh, the one person who's always good is the uh, uh, educational scholastic advisor or whatever, you know, who, who deals with them on, on, on setting up classes and things because they just know the guy in a little different way and how serious he is about school or unserious he is. So there's different people you can talk to. You can go back and talk to a high school coach. But a lot of times when you talk to coaches, they're always going to put the guy up here. So you got to talk to somebody that's, say, been around him but doesn't necessarily have a big tie where, Mm -hmm. you know, he knows he can say something negative and it's not going to get back to the kid or whatever. So and, and those are the things that help you when you can get some real honest answers. So, but anyway, you got to do that. And then when you have him in the interview when he was brought in here, I mean, you're asking him some tough questions and you're looking at him, you know, eye to eye and you want to see how he reacts to some of that stuff. And more often than not, when you ask a question, you already know the answer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. In fact, my one rule is don't ask a question that you don't know the answer to, you know, so then, <laughs> you know, if they're lying to you, right. right. And if they lie, if they're lying, then you're done. Yeah. You move on. You move on. Yeah. Part of a scout's uh, job responsibilities is really being an investigative, uh, you know, a private eye kind of thing. You really got to. Well, yeah, but then uh, teams hire private eyes. Oh, I mean, there, there's been cases where, you know, you follow people, mm-hmm. find out where they're hanging out. And I'll, I'll give you, you know, we're talking stories. Parcells had two private eyes. When we were working, you know, like <laughs> He found out where all the, the players hung out, a couple of the clubs, right? Mm-hmm. So he sent in two people to find out 
what the hell was going on. Those two people were his daughters. <laughs> but the players didn't know that. Interesting. <laughs> and so he'd get every, I mean, he knew so much stuff, you know, about what was going on, you know, with certain players, who was going where, what time they got there, what time they left. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it, it was funny. There was one guy we had, and he was from L.A. And it, it, it's a like a six-round pick or something. And uh, he had a little rough side to him. Mm-hmm. And so this is in the late 80s, and a lot of the, you know, did you ever watch Snowfall on, on FX? A lot of it had, yeah. you, know, yeah. the, you know, the dr- the cocaine drug trade and all that mm-hmm. and and the different gangs. So this guy, they're talking, Parcells is talking to this guy like the first or second time, and he just looks at me and goes, so what are you, Crip or a blood? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the guy just goes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's not, uh, hey, are you in a gang? He's asking, which gang are you in? Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. So S.T. Scott wants to know about Jalen Carter. So, Greg, is okay, Jalen well, here, Carter- here's. So this guy I'm talking to Friday, oh, that's right. and, that's right. and he is, like you say, he's connected. Mm-hmm. So he goes, who do you think the Bears are going to take? I said, I think they're either going to take a tackle or trade down. Mm-hmm. I said, but it wouldn't shock me if they took a corner because there's a corner that could just jump out. He goes, it's Carter. I go, how do you know that? I said, I can't buy it. He goes, there's a lot of people in the league. And he mentioned one. He said, Howie, mm-hmm. who picked right below 10. Right, right. They're positive it's it's Carter. And that everything else is to take you off the Carter scent, so to speak. Now, yeah, I, I get what time of the year it is. It's mm-hmm. but a line season. There are people. And they came, and these are all that believe, no, it's a tackle. And that if you want the ter- first tackle, you got to get in front of Chicago. And, you know, who the first tackle is, you know, that, that's a matter of opinion. It could be Paris Johnson, it could be just some had one other guy. Mm-hmm. But, it just, you know, interesting that there's a group of people that say one player and another group of players, you know, another group of people that say another player. And it, it just, you know, I find it kind of fascinating because really what it gets down to is nobody really knows. You're just, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're talking to people, you're getting as much information as you can. And I used to do the same thing. You try, and, and more mm-hmm. often than not, you're wrong. But the other, the other rumor we had, or I don't know if it's rumor, and this came from three separate people. All three are very renowned, quote, insiders. Mm-hmm. Carolina's all but locked into Bryce Young. And he's there. If it's not today, it's tomorrow. And that, if it isn't 100% solidified, it should be after that, unless he has a horrible visit. But the interesting thing is Houston wants Young, and they don't want Stroud. 
And part of the reason they don't want Stroud is the agent. It's Deshaun Walker's agent. And they just don't want to have another quarterback in that situation and yeah. you know, deal with all that. So if, in fact, Carolina takes Bryce Young, then Houston either takes Anderson or they try to trade out. The only caveat to that is that the owner wants a quarterback. And so now it's, it's uh, you know, Nick has got, Nick Casario has got to really talk as his agent, or his agent, talk as his owner into doing what he thinks is the right thing. Mm-hmm. Not, not grab a quarterback just to grab a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so back to Carter, though, uh, if well, Nomad just said, and I've been saying this as well, if, if Carter does fall to nine, then you've got to wonder why teams that have been associated with Carter and picked before the Bears, you got to wonder why didn't they choose him? You know, did they find out something? And, and that, well, that that could very well happen. Mm-hmm. But the, the, I, I guess the best way to describe that is if, in fact, he gets that far, that's where it ends. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, well, we will find out soon. It's about 17 days we will find yeah, out. something like that. All right, let's talk about more process here. One of the things that you shared on Barroom Draft Exclusives is that you, as, a, as the head of a scouting department, you would do research on position players and where they have been drafted, how many have been drafted by a certain round number. So, for instance, if the Chicago Bears were targeting a wide receiver at the top of the fourth round, Historically, over the last five to ten years, how many wide receivers have been chosen before that first pick of the fourth round? Tell us about that process, and then uh, we'll, we'll discuss a few positions. Well, we, you got the numbers for the wide receivers, and I went back ten years on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, how many receivers went the first round, second round, third round? Mm-hmm. Um, and generally speaking, if you get if you don't take one of the first three rounds of the top of the fourth, and they got the very as it stands right now, they got the very first pick of the fourth round. Mm-hmm. You're going to get the 12th, 13th wide receiver off the board. Right. You know, based on averages over the last 10 years. Now, you can look at other positions. Okay, tackle. And I only went back eight years because this trends change. You know, mm-hmm. if, I, if I went back 20 years on running backs, the average on running backs going in the first round would jump right up because – you know, it used to be a hot position, no longer. Right. right. You know, the, the year we took Cedric Benson, three went in the top five. Mm. That, that, that doesn't happen anymore. No more. <laughs> so, um, you know, now they're considered one contract players, and you're absolutely nuts if you take one in the top 10, unless, you know, you could be a team like Philly that, you know, is a, is a playoff contender or a Super Bowl contender, and you got a high pick from a, previous trade and, and that's the guy that puts you over the top mm-hmm. you know okay then yeah okay we'll we'll do that but like the giants taking saquon where they took him considering the team they had at the time not really the the smartest move and look what happened he tore an acl mm-hmm. you know he did he bounced back but you know you gave up basically two seasons 
from that, the finish of the one season and, and a good part of the next season before he actually got back to normal. And there's a lot of guys that they just don't get to a second contract. And why would you want to spend a top 10 pick on a player that for the most part doesn't get to a second contract? Yeah. You, you want a guy that, you know, you're going to be around a while. Great point. Okay. Mm-hmm. But so let's take a look at, at, uh, tackles and in, in the first three rounds mm-hmm. going back to 2016. Okay. 16, nine went. Now what I did, and when I went through some of this, there's some guys that were drafted as tackles and the day they got in the league, they became guards because okay. they were tackles in, in, in college. Okay. Okay. Like Skaronsky might get drafted as a as a tackle. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a guard. Okay. Absolutely. So, um, okay. So sixteen, there was nine in the first three rounds. Mm-hmm. Six in the first, one in the second, two in the third. Seventeen, there was six total. So mm-hmm. you know, some years it depends how strong class is at the position. Two, two, and two. Eighteen, there was seven. Three, one, and three. 19, there was 11, 4, 3, and 4. 20, now the last couple of years, it's gone up, and there's been some decent classes. 20, there was 6 went in the first, 1 in the second, 2 in the third. 21, 4 in the first, 5 in the second, 2 in the third. 22, 5 in the first, 1 in the second, 3 in the third. Now, a lot of times in those high rounds, when you get a big number at the position, Mm-hmm. The next round really drops off. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. And, and for whatever reason. And like, you know, I, I started doing this exercise it was 22 years ago, the 2000, mm-hmm. my last draft with the Giants. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, 2001. And we wanted to take a corner, but we were picking late because we were in the Super Bowl. So we were picking 31. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to know, okay. What's the what? What corner are you getting at thirty-one, on mm-hmm. average? Excuse me. And then if we pass on a corner in the first, what are we going to be getting in the second? Right. So that's when I started doing this, and it turns out that with corners, and it's held up for over twenty years now, twelve to fifteen corners go in the first three rounds. Mm-hmm. Not always a big first-round group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the second round is usually loaded with corners. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very heavy position to be uh, selected in the second round. Right. Okay. So now let's look at, at uh, edge players. Now, we've got to clarify edge. There's some guys when you go through the, the NFL transactions, they're drafted and they're, it says defensive end. Right. And, and there are five techniques. Those aren't defensive ends or edge players as, as we want to refer them to now. So I was looking at guys who are pass rushers. So mm-hmm. that Bradley Chubb was listed as, as an outside linebacker when he got drafted, but he is an edge. Mm-hmm. He's a pass rusher. So when I did this, I was looking strictly for pass rushers, not big five techniques that were listed as a defensive end in that defense, but weren't really pass rushers. Mm -hmm. So going back to 16, 
it was uh, three in the first, two in the second, three in the third. So eight. Not a whole lot. No. The big year was 17. Six in the first, two in the second, six in the third. Mm-hmm. Um, then 18, two, two, and four. 19, four, three, and three. So 10 total. 20, two, four, and five, 11 total. 21, big number again, they're important position. Six, five, and three, 12 total. And 22 was 12 total, five, five, and two. Mm. So in the last couple of years, in the in the first round, the, the total number edges in the first three rounds has been 12. The highest number was 17, and I think it was 16. So if you got to wait, you know, in, in the third round, you're going to get it. This year's a pretty good edge class, I think. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, for depth-wise, I think you're going to get, in the third round, you're going to get a pretty good player. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when we talk the third round with the Bears, we're talking the first player off the board because mm-hmm. they got the first pick. Same thing with fourth round. So you can almost figure that fourth round pick as a third rounder. Right. You know, because right. It's, it's, it's the first pick off the board. Okay. I put together a list of edge players here, and this is not anyone's official board, uh, but uh, it's, it's, it would p- probably be close to a lot of people's boards. And so if you're targeting then a um, – if, for instance, you've picked an offensive tackle in the first round with the ninth pick and you have been unable to trade up into the second round, and so you are then looking at the 53rd pick uh, to uh, bolster that edge position, you are then probably really looking at the Miles Murphy, Felix Nduki, Izuma, Will McDonald uh, category of players. Is that safe to say? Um, yeah, I mean, everybody's going to have them differently. I mean, I, I know some people that don't have Van Ness anywhere near as high as the as the analysts have. Right. Um, you look at uh, Tuopolo, too. There's a lot of people, including myself, that think he's going to end up being like a three technique, mm-hmm. not an end. He's got short arms for an end. Uh, it could be a five technique, but a three or a five and not a edge. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaiah McGuire intrigues me. Kyle Brooks will be an inside player. He's 300 pounds. Right. Okay. Derek Hall is going to go higher than what you have on that list. Mm-hmm. Keon White. Depending on the team that takes him, could be a, like if the Bears took Keon White, probably a three technique. Yeah, I heard um, that a lot. Okay, he's play, a, a lean two eighty five, mm-hmm. and you know got really strong hands, good movement. Um, Mike Morris, who we got down, he's another guy that would move inside probably to mm-hmm. a three technique. Some of these other guys I don't know. R- Ramirez, I know, is a kid from uh, Eastern Michigan. Um, Yaya Diaby, I think, is going to go a little higher than that. He's an interesting guy. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, you know, I think there's at least a, a dozen pretty good edge players, pass yeah. rushers. And so if you follow, you know, quarter numbers, the third round, 
at the top of the third, you're going to get a good one. Mm-hmm. You might get lucky and get one of those guys at, at, with the first pick in the fourth, mm-hmm. you know, depending on, on how they come off the board. And who the hell has a crystal ball to know exactly how it's going to fall? Yep. Now, you have the I, – I went back just I – I did 10 years when I did that wide receiver thing, and you had the numbers. I'm just yeah. interested in seeing what it is between going back uh, seven years and 10 years. I um, don't think I have them on this notepad. Okay, uh, well, I got it going back in the, in the first three rounds, 10 went. Okay. 10 went in 17. 10 went in 18. 15 went in 19. 13 went in 20. 13 went in 21, and 12 went in 22. So the last few years, wide receivers, the the value of the position has gone up, mm-hmm. and more have gone in those premium rounds than mm-hmm. just five years ago. Okay. So here's a list of wide receivers. And if the Bears, for, for instance, were targeting a receiver at the top of the fourth round, that's pick 103. So if this was close to the Bears' uh, uh, board on wide receivers, we're perhaps then looking at the Jalen Moreno-Cropper DeMario Douglas, Jonathan Mingo, Trey Tucker, Bryce Ford, Wheaton, Xavier Hutchinson, Charlie Jones uh, type of player. Uh, Am I close to being right there? And could be the Detroit Lions' eighth best wide receiver. And, And the Detroit Lions' fifth best player could be the 12th player on, on the Bears board. They differ from team to team, okay? And, mm-hmm. and part of it has to do with what you're looking for, what your profile is at the position, et cetera. And don't forget, you got three different wide receiver positions. You've got your mm-hmm. slot receiver, you got your Z receiver, your X receiver. So, and, and it's what's the profile for each one of those positions. And, you know, and, and a lot of times the crossovers are the, are the slot and the Z. Mm-hmm. In, in the Bears offense, the X, they want a big guy. That's what Chase Claypool is. That's what EQ is. You know, big, tall guys. And, and mm-hmm. uh, But they want a little smaller, quicker, faster guys playing the slot and the Z. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Tony says, I like Grant. Grant Dubose on or Dubois, I don't know how to pronounce that correctly well, on day um, three. Yeah, um, he didn't run as good as yeah, I was surprised. Like, yeah, yeah, and and so I, I think that hurts him. Now there is a guy that's coming in mm-hmm. that did not run good, but he supposedly um, talking to his agent has not been a hundred percent because when you watch tape. Mm-hmm. He looks a hell of a lot faster than he ran. And okay. that's uh, Dontavian Wicks from University of Virginia. Yeah, and, I know. And he, and he was one of the, you know, one of the 30 visits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a junior in 2021, he averaged over 20 yards a catch. Mm-hmm. Okay. You don't run four six and average 20 yards a catch. Mm-hmm. You know, so he, 
do I think he's a sub four five? No, I don't know. His pro day ran like four fifty seven. Uh, he was four six two at the combine. Uh, the agent said that he was dealing like with a groin and hammy. You know, he's probably in the low four fives as reality. And and when you watch him play, that's how he plays. Mm-hmm. He is he's a long strider, uh, but he gets open deep. Yeah. He gets open, period. He he does a really good job. Yeah, he on... he gets in and out of cuts really quickly. He's got yeah. really good body control. Yeah. Uh, I like the guy, but he's he's one of the few receivers that they've brought in. Now, interesting point. Talking about and I got a Windy City asked me to write about this for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know what happens with these thirty visit guys? Now, I only could find about 16 or 17 names from last year's visits. And how many they actually brought in, I don't know. 30 is the maximum. How many out of that did they actually bring in? And local guys do not count against your 30. So, like, you had uh, the receiver uh, from Cincinnati who the Colts took in the third round, uh, Pierce. Mm-hmm. He's, he was a local kid. He doesn't count if you had him in. Uh, this year, there's a there's a running back from Arizona State who is a bitch. Didn't go to the uh, uh, combine. Ran for like 1,400 yards for Arizona State. He was a transfer from Wyoming. Twice at Wyoming, out of the three years he was at Wyoming, ran for over 1,000 yards. Why this guy didn't go to the combine is totally beyond me. Pro Day runs like four four five. He jumps out of the building. All his numbers were rare. Hmm. And then you watch his tape and you go, what the hell? What was somebody thinking that this guy wasn't invited to the combine? And this is a mid-round pick. That's wild. Um, let, let's get back to process because one of the things that I'm uh, really interested in learning from you Greg, is the board and really how many boards are there? So I'm imagining there's, uh, you know, a a big board with the hundred or so players that the Bears have identified as these are potential uh, pickups for us. But is there also a wide receiver board, an offensive tackle board? Okay, talk to me more about that and the interaction that's going with the scouting department and coaches leading up to draft week. Well, that, that's your meetings going on now. Mm-hmm. Some clubs may have started next week, then they have a long weekend break because of the Easter holiday. Start up probably at noon today. Uh, other teams might have started today, and they'll go right up until the draft. Now, you want to get done a few days before the draft, but the you do it by position. So, excuse me, a lot of times we, we did it by need. So that when we were taught well, the, the needs we really wanted to hit in the draft, mm-hmm. we wanted to hit them first in the, in the uh, draft meetings because you knew everybody was fresh mm-hmm. and you get in about day 10, you know, you're starting to, you got long, long days and you start to wear out a little bit. So you wanted to make sure you hit the important guys first, but let's just say you, you, do the edge players. Now in, in previous meetings, like in February, December, whatever, you never had coaches involved in those meetings. Mm-hmm. They're obviously coaching the football team. 
Um, so in these meetings, their report comes into the equation. Mm -hmm. Now, before you get into the meeting, your decision makers, be it, you know, the personnel director, scouting director, et cetera, they'll, they'll slap a semi-final grade on the guy mm -hmm. for sake of argument to go into the meeting. But it's not necessarily, and in most cases, not what the final grade's going to be. The final grade is going to be determined when you get into these meetings. So you'll, let's say you start off with the edge players and you're going to go top to bottom on the group. And you're only going to really talk about the guys you are interested in. Okay. Mm -hmm. The people that you eliminated because they aren't scheme fits or whatever, you're not going to wait. You don't have enough time. You're not going to waste your time talking about them. Okay. They're going to have a grade and they're going to be, you know, positioned on the position board according to their grade, but, you know, there's just guys that you aren't interested in drafting in because maybe they're not a scheme fit or they could have a medical or they, they could be a, a character reject or whatever. There are various reasons why. But you get the guys in there and then, you know, any the people who are allowed to talk in most cases are the people who wrote a report. So if you don't write a report, Keep your mouth shut. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to speak. Uh, on, on, like, you know, unless your title says GM. You know, otherwise, you aren't talking. Okay. And, but you know, everybody gives their opinion, and you know, the first guy, you do the first guy, and there's no arguing or comparing him with another guy because he's the first guy you did. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the next guy and you do him. And now you get at the end. Okay. Who would we rather have player A or player B? Mm -hmm. And so you might just change the grade a little bit because the consensus in the room is, you know what? You had player A as number one, but we like player B better, mm -hmm. you know? And so you, you flip flop mm -hmm. and, and, so that's generally the process. You go through all the guys you're interested in at that position. Then you go on to the next position. Okay. And, but like I say, the coach has, where in previous meetings, the coach didn't have an impact. Coach has an impact. He might've gone out and worked the guy out either on a private workout or the pro day. He brought him in on a visit or whatever. And for, for some reason, and I'll, I'll, I'll use a negative here, but the coach didn't like him. Might not like the personality. There's just something about him. And, and, and you know, he knows what his, what's in his room. Mm -hmm. He knows what players he has. And it's like, you know, this guy's a good player. He's not going to fit in this room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I, you know, I, I can speak, and I, I hope I'm not all lying here, um, when Harry was here and as the offensive line coach under Lovey. And, and we made sure Harry, anybody we were interested in on the offensive line, Harry went out and worked out, mm -hmm. spent time with. And Harry come back, and there's guys he said, I, I don't want him. And he goes, he's going to get eaten up in that room. He's not going to get along with people like Olin and Rubin Brown or 
Roberto Garza and stuff. And he goes, it's, you know, it's going to be a detriment. And there's other guys that he come back glowing about. I want this guy. I want to coach this guy. You know, so the coach is part of the process because, you know, especially when he's had a, a little bit of a say in the matter, if he really is driven to coach the guy, you know he's going to go out of his way to get this guy to succeed. At the mm -hmm. same time, if he doesn't want the guy, he's going to find ways for him to fail. So you can never bring in a guy that a coach is adamant against having on his team, mm -hmm. in his position group. It just doesn't work. Okay. One of the many quotes I remember you sharing with us is, um, you can make – You can change your mind. You can change your scouting reports as often as you want. The key is to get it right. And right. that go, goes along with the debates that are going on with coaches and, and, and scouts and player personnel people, right? Yeah, there was a sign that mm -hmm. I had on the wall in the draft room. And don't anybody ever say war room, please. That's, that goes against my, my good nature. Mm -hmm. And... What I like is, Ryan, you know, before I got here, I'll tell the story. And if I told it before, I apologize. It's fine. Because I think it was 2004. Look up what year uh, Tillman got killed. The uh, Patrick Tillman. Um, we were in our, our meetings. 2004. Okay. We're in our meetings pre-draft. And... Robin Wilkie, who is Jerry's secretary, comes in and said, uh, Teddy, you got Teddy Monago. He said, you got a phone call. You got to take it. And Teddy says, I'll, I'll get it later. He goes, no, Teddy, you got to take it now. Now, Teddy went to school, played with Tillman at Arizona State, and they were tight. And it was Ted's mother who called. And you know, we got word that Tillman had been killed in action over in Afghanistan. So Teddy comes in, his face is white. He's just all shook up. I said, you know, what, what's wrong? And he said, Pat got, tilled, got killed. And at first I said, well, Pat, who? I didn't know who he was referring to. And he said, Tillman. And we just ended the meetings. That, it was like 11 o'clock in the morning. We ended mm -hmm. the meetings for the rest of the day. Because he was shook up and it, and, and it shook up everybody else in the room. Mm -hmm. But at that time, they referred to our draft room as the war room. And I just saw and it just hit me right then. I said, no, you, 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 we got to throw out that name. That's wrong. We're playing a freaking game. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was a war. That man got killed in a war. We're not involved in wars. From now on, as long as I'm here, this is the draft room. And I sent a memo out to all the coaches, all the scouts, actually everybody in the building, that it was to be referred to and only referred to as the draft room. Well, mm. what I liked is that when Phil Emery was here, mm -hmm. he called it the draft room. Ryan Pace referred to it as the draft room. And Ryan Pohl so far has referred to it as the draft room. So, mm -hmm. you know, they, they've held on to that. 
and whether and, and Robin just retired. She retired like last spring, really, or no, during the summer. And you know, might have been Robin just like passed on them. Don't call mm -hmm. war room and and told them you know that they don't call it war room. And I refuse to use that term in that room. Yeah, it's a it's a great uh, tribute to a man who died for his country. Uh, and um, I remember the first time we had you on the bar room. This was a, probably five years ago. I used it, the term uh, war room and you interrupted me and said, you know, please don't use that term. And, and you shared that story. And it's a story that's uh, worth repeating over and over again. It puts it puts life in perspective as we tend to focus a lot on draft and football and sports and other things, but uh, what's happening uh, in our country and protecting our country, that should take priority. But anyway, to get back to where we were before I went off on that tangent, mm -hmm. we had a sign in the draft room that said, it's not about who's right, it's about mm -hmm. being right. Right. You know, so number one, it's a group effort, it's not an individual effort. Mm-hmm. Okay, group and team effort. And the important thing is that we get the right grade. Indeed. Okay, and it doesn't matter if, you know, I could be wrong, you could be wrong, Jerry Angelo could have been wrong. It doesn't matter. As long as, as a group, mm -hmm. we got them lined up the right way and we take them accordingly. Okay. All right. I got one more question for you on process, and then we're going to get to about uh, 10 questions that I've got lined up from the chat room. So at this point, we're 17 days from the draft. Our phone calls, and don't worry, Roger Goodell is not listening to this, <laughs> but our phone calls being made to player agents to tell them, listen, we're interested in your player. If he's not drafted, we want you to take our call first or something like that. Tell me oh, what yeah, is that? that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's recruiting. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah. You're doing that. And you're, you do that when you're not in meeting time and you, you know, you're at, at night or whatever on your lunch break, uh, you call the players, you call the agents, uh, the position coach. And that brings up another thing because the, on the 30 visits, every team does the 30 visits differently. And I don't like the number top 30 because it's not top 30. Top 30 says it's your top 30, one to 30. And that's not the case. Okay. You know, it might be 15 guys that, that you like for a potential first or second round pick, but you're also bringing in some, and not every team does this, but a lot do. We always brought in at least 10 that were, not going to be, get drafted, that there were going to be undrafted free agents because, you want, number one, we had to get a, a medical on them to make sure they were even uh, in good enough condition to sign to a free agent contract. So we wanted to get that right. Uh, and then, and these were going to be high-priority undrafted free agents. So, and then we recruit the hell out of them. The position coach would work on them. Lovey would, I would, Jerry would. Uh, the position uh, or the area scout would, and you'd give them a plan. This is why we want you. Yeah, I know you want to get drafted. We're not going to draft you. We're sorry, and I hope you do get drafted. But if you don't, 
this is the plan we have for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you go look, we had undrafted free agents make the team every year. And, but, you know, doing that, that helps. Now, I'll tell you, like this year, there's been some guys listed uh, in, in different media articles of guys who are on the 30 visits. There's been about five or six of them that are local kids. One is that running back from, from Arizona State. He mm -hmm. went to, I think, Brother Rice or something uh, downtown. Uh, there's a guard from Cincinnati that came in. He's a local kid. You've got uh, the receiver from Michigan State is a local kid. The receiver from Purdue is a local kid. The quarterback from Purdue is a local kid. None of those guys count against your 30. And you can bring them in half a dozen times if you want. You know, and they will have some time in the next week and a half. And I would imagine it'd be this week, but I don't know that for sure. Uh, there's going to be a local workout day mm -hmm. where, you know, where they're going to bring a lot of these guys in and uh, work them out in the Peyton Center, mass workout thing. And um, we used to do it usually on a Saturday or a Sunday, a couple of weeks before the draft. And, and you'd have 25, 28 players. Some of them, you you know, there was no way in hell you would even consider signing, but it's just the goodwill gesture of bringing them in. You know, it's good PR work and, and stuff like that. But there are, you know, especially the last couple of years, there's been some really interesting local kids. Van Ness, Skaronsky, uh, Big Eight, and, and those are all considered local kids. So you can bring them in on that the local day, and these guys are all going to get drafted, and some of them are going to get drafted real high. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right. Let us take on some of these questions. Uh, we got some really good ones. Um, I refuse to answer any good questions on the grounds of being criminal. <laughs> well, this is one. <laughs> I'm still wondering what those dolls are behind Greg. <laughs> you know, those are my my wife found those somewhere. I don't know what the hell they are. <laughs> but they're beautiful. <laughs> yeah. My buddy who who used to live up the street and now he lives in Vegas. So uh -huh. he's been in the house a million times because we were neighbors for got 14 years. And mm -hmm. he watches the show and he takes a screenshot and he goes, what the fuck are those? I never <laughs> noticed them before. You know, <laughs> I don't know what the hell they are either, but I'll tell you the map behind me. That, uh -huh. Now that you know, we're going off topic here. That's a two-sided map. It's silk, mm -hmm. and that's from World War II. Yeah. And my dad was a pilot, mm -hmm. and that was a survival map. If they got shot down, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so, like I say, it's two-sided. It looks like it's brand new, and that's probably because it's on silk. Yeah. Swifty says those dolls look a little creepy. I kind of have to agree with them. They, 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 they are. I, 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 they've been here. We've been in this house. God, eighteen years, nineteen years. Shit, they've been there forever. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, uh, Mr. Englewood says I have a question regarding the very low return on trade value that the Bears receive in compensation for their players, as opposed to that team 150 miles north of us, the Green Bay Packers. Oh, let's see barking at. 
I don't know. Hold on. <laughs> okay, you hold on. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Englewood, I'm not sure you you had a chance. I asked you for an example of a trade. I'm going to scroll up to see uh, if you made a reply to that, because I um, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that compensation. If anybody can help out in the chat, have the Packers made a trade? I'm asking for I'm asking for help on that question, uh, Greg, because I I, I wonder. <laughs> I, I wonder if there's an example of a trade that the Packers have made that in comparison the Bears, you know, uh, made a similar trade and got worse uh, compensation. So I'm, I'm not quite sure how to address that. Let's see if, if Greg has a response to that. Mr. Englewood says that dog agrees with me. <laughs> no, a, a dog had the audacity of walking by my house. <laughs> Does, doesn't he know who Bennett is? <laughs> hey, hey, somebody walks by his house, he gives him hell. Uh, by the way, Robert says that one of those dolls is definitely Olin Cruz. <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, voodoo dolls. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, you know what? I'm going to ask my <laughs> wife tonight what the hell they are. Yeah, please. We'll talk about it next show. So, have you have you detected a a disparity? Do you think that the Packers are getting more trade value in their deals than the than than the Bears have? Because uh, I'm not seeing more clarity on that question from Mr. Inglewood. No, I. I, I mean, depending on, there's a lot of things that go into return on a trade mm -hmm. part of it is contract the guy's got a big contract mm -hmm. you're it's an advantage dumping the contract because that wow. high number is not on your cap that's so a great you point can't, you can't expect to get a high pick yeah. and dump uh cap space mm -hmm. you know so and it's especially if say if they're they're in the last year um, of their contract, and so the the advertised portion of the signing bonus doesn't there's not a big cap hit because of that. Mm -hmm. So you're you're getting rid of a salary. You can't. That that's why people thinking like that, that Packer Bob is. He thinks the Packers are going to get two ones and a two for Aaron Rodgers. He's out of his freaking mind. Yeah, no way that's going to happen. You got to. He's 39 years old. He's a rental, and he's got a, like a $50 million salary or something like that. You can't and he uses dangerous drugs. That's the other thing that I don't get. The guy's out there doing ayahuasca. That's a dangerous drug. I don't want well, that guy. It's, it, it's not just that, but still, I mean, he, he was, by his own words, 90% retired You know, two months ago, six weeks mm -hmm. ago. And so you don't know if you got it for one year or two years. Two years is probably a max. Mm -hmm. You're going to give up a one for that? Hell no. And take on that contract? No, that's not the way it works. Right. So, you know, now, if it's a young player and the guy's got high, still has upside and the best years are in front of him, that's a different story. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, Triple R has a great question about process the day of the draft. Uh, you are now uh, on the clock. How does how do multiple 
trade offers work. Is Polls have one phone on his ear and another phone on his ear. Does he have assistants fielding other calls and stuff? Can you give us an idea on, you know, handling multiple trade offers? This would have been a, you know, if the Bears had the number one overall, this would have been a, a, an even more interesting question. But it happens really on almost any any draft slot. Okay. And, and I've been through this a few times. So, I first of all, calls start coming in way before you're on the clock. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, let's say – Let's just argue the ninth pick. Probably around five, you're going to mm-hmm. start getting calls. Okay, and and you've already let teams know that you may want to move down. Your your pick may want to be for sale. Mm-hmm. But, but a couple days before the draft, you send into the league the general man. There's like a landline sitting in your draft room the uh general manager's got a landline in his office and he's got a cell phone so those three numbers go out you know the the uh ian cunningham's numbers will go out his office number his cell phone number there'll be a designated trade line number in other words you know, it could be your, your pro director, it could be Ian Cunningham, whoever Ryan designates. When I was there with Bobby DePaul, he was the director of pro scouting. Mm-hmm. So any if, if you were interested in making a trade, then you called Bobby. Bobby would relay it to Jerry and me. And like my office was on one side of the draft room, Bobby's was on the other, and Jerry's was across the hall. But we were mostly in the draft room. Like in between, you make a, you know, you make a pick, and, and you might have an hour and a half before the next pick. You go into your office, and or maybe we'd go into Jerry's office and discuss things for fifteen minutes, or whatever. But Bobby would always be the first guy to get the call. Mm-hmm. Now, some people, you know, they break protocol and they're going to call the GM right off the bat. But that goes out to everybody in the league, and you get everybody's numbers, and they get yours, et cetera. And you have a, you know, you make a big chart with all those numbers and mm-hmm. designate who these numbers are. Like Stein will be on there too because he's the cap guy, mm-hmm. and and so you know might be five different numbers that are on there. And oh, Your <laughs> yeah, internet is uh, giving us problems again. Uh, I'm being told in the chat room that uh, reset your uh, next time we go live to reset your modem. You know, just turn it off and then turn it back on, and that should help. Well, I, I, mine was off. I, I, I had turned my computer was off before I got on, so. Yeah, but the 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 route the, the router that sends Wi-Fi throughout the house. Oh, but oh, you're hardwired, okay. right? Yeah, I'm well, hardwired. Are you hardwired? Or, uh, yeah. Okay. So that's weird. All right. Well, we'll do I, it I don't have it, but I could um, I could reset the modem like an hour before because it takes a while to. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. So let's move on. Um, 
Jordan says, has Greg watched Control Clark or Deshaun Johnson, their darlings on day three? It's interesting that he will bring up Control Clark because he's the cornerback out of Louisville who has 29-inch long arms. You know, I, haven't watched Jordan- him. I haven't watched him. There was a couple names people gave us, you know, a week or so ago that I did. I think we yeah. did them on the, we did them on the last uh, taping we did for our, you know, our, yeah, and I'm actually yeah. posting those later today. Yes, okay. so uh, those um, will be available. Yeah, no, I have done neither one of those two two guys. Mm-hmm. Look at this. Robert says Greg needs a modem that is more than fourteen four hundred band. I don't um, know that. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know it. I, uh, I'm a technological idiot. So, uh, <laughs> I'll I'll admit to it. You know. I, well, let's get on to the question, something you're much more of an expert on. Cornelius wants to know, at what round should the Bears consider drafting a running back? And so it's an interesting question because we've got the Travis Homer, Khalil Herbert, uh, Deontay Foreman, and uh, Ebner in the running back room now. So how right. do you want to supplement that? You know, it's funny because I was thinking about that earlier today. Mm-hmm. And – Excuse me. Um, Homer got more than the minimum, as did uh, Foreman. Uh, they got, you know, they're, I think Homer got a two-year deal. Foreman got a one-year deal, but both got some pretty decent money. And Poles went out of his way to talk about Homer and say, this is a guy I watched in college been watching when he was out of Seattle, was the guy that we specifically targeted. And, you know, some of the stuff you write in blogs and the paper, oh, he's just a special teams player. More than that, first of all, the guy can run. Mm-hmm. And he is, and he's not a big guy, he's like only 205, but he's a pretty damn good pass blocker when you watch the tape and a very good receiver. Mm-hmm. So this guy's going to get play time. And, you know, you look at the contract they gave him, they gave him a two-year deal, and the GM goes out of his way to say, this is a guy I wanted. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Foreman, as much as I like Monty as a pure runner, he might be an upgrade. <laughs> you know, based on, on last year. Now, I don't know if he can pass block like Monty, and I don't know if he can – catch like Monty because he's never been used that much as a receiver. Mm-hmm. But, um, okay, good. he says, Jameer Gibbs could be best player available. Okay, best player available. I wrote an article about this on Windy City. For, it was on Saturday. Best player available is a myth. And the reason it is a myth is because my board's different than your board, different from every – Every team board is different. Who's to say he's the best player available? So, in other words, best player available according to who? Mel Kuyper? Daniel Jeremiah? They don't count. There's only one board that counts, and that's the Chicago Bears, and you don't know what their board looks like. Mm-hmm. Nobody does except somebody inside that, that building. Mm-hmm. And their board doesn't look like the Seattle Seahawks board. And it doesn't look like, like a, the LA Rams board or the Miami Dolphins because they're all different. 
And well, and a perfect example of that, Greg, is the selection of Valus Jones in round three last season. There were other wide receivers that other people preferred over Valus Jones, right. but according to the Bears, Valus Jones was the best available wide receiver there. Right, right. So it, it, it's going to change. So for somebody to say Gibbs might be the best player available, he might be on some board. He might not be on the Bears board. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the Bears are at a time, yeah, you're not going to turn down good players, but you're still trying to put a competitive team on the field. Right. And right. that includes, like, and, and that goes back, you know, all these people keep saying they're, they're going to be stupid if they don't take, you know, JSN at mm-hmm. number nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just think about that. They've made two trades for people. Mm-hmm. Okay, one was a, the very first receiver picked in his draft, and that's DJ Moore, been pretty damn good receiver. Um, the other guy, Chase Claypool, was a second-round pick, and his first two years when he had a quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, he put up some damn good numbers. Last year they had Mitch and a rookie. And they they had a different offense, and they moved him inside the slot. And he's not a slot; he's an X. So, mm-hmm. you know, the production wasn't necessarily there. Then when he comes here, you know, it's mid-season. He's got to learn an offense that he's never been in. This same this an offense that's anywhere similar to what the Bears run now. And so, you know, everything didn't click right away mm-hmm. when that trade was made. And I keep repeating myself. That was made for 2023, not for 2022. Right. So, but when right. you look at that, plus Valus in the third round last year, they brought back EQ. Mm-hmm. Why are they drafting a receiver in a, in a premium round? It just doesn't make doesn't, sense. It, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I mean, could they? I expect them to draft a receiver, not until day three. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I'd be surprised before then, only because. You know, when I had that conversation with Ryan out of the East-West, he said, I'm looking for one particular type of receiver. Well, he just traded for him in that trade. That was DJ. <laughs> That's exactly what Cornelius says. DJ Moore is our first-round pick this year. That's a great way to put it, Cornelius. Yeah, you know, so it, it's like when you're trying to put a team together, and, and, and I sent this in a text to a guy the other day, don't overload on one position when you got a lot of weakness at two of the most important areas, and that's the offensive and defensive line. Because mm-hmm. you aren't winning unless those two areas are strong. Mm-hmm. I don't care how good your receivers are, your lines better be good. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I want to get back to this question from about uh, Travis Homer, and it comes from Ravi. He says, uh, Travis Homer is quick, but does he block and secure the ball well? What well, have you seen you on what, tape? You watch that son of a bitch block now. <laughs> I was shocked because he's only 205 pounds, and he's fast, too. He's a sub-4-5 guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you watch him face up, and I've seen some. He stonewalls people. Yeah. He's a, I, I, you know, I didn't know much about him, so that's why I did the work. 
Mm-hmm. He's a not, he's not a good pass blocker. He's a damn good pass blocker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a lot of grit. He's the type of guy I will do anything to help the team win, and uh, he backs it up with his actions. All right, next question. Prevent defense says, how high does Greg think Adebayore will go, and how does his tape align with his Rascor? Are you familiar with Rascor? Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with Rascor, and I got mixed opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Because there's some guys with some rest scores off the charts that are shitty football players. Exactly. And there's some guys that are got low RAS scores that are great football players. Exactly. Okay. It's a it's an athletic score. Yes. And athletic does not mean he's a good football player. Right. Now, uh Aid has got very good rest score. His numbers are rare. Played out of position at Northwestern. Okay, he was an outside guy, and then when you saw him inside in some games, one of which I think was Nebraska, where he played inside a lot, he really just jumped out. And then he got down to the senior bowl, and he played nothing but inside. Mm-hmm. And he kicked the shit out of people. Mm-hmm. And so he's a natural he, – he's got to grow into the position, but he's a natural three technique in this thing. How high does he go? There's some people who think he's going in the, in the bottom part of the first round. Mm-hmm. I don't think he gets out of the middle of the second round. His traits are too strong. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a guy that's going to be a now. He's not for everybody, right. you know. If you're if, if you're a, playing a three man front, he's not a five technique. I don't, you know, could he do it? Yeah, because he's so quick. But you know, that's not the optimum guy that you want. So mm-hmm. depending he's going to have a discrepancy in grades from team A to team B to team C because he's six, one and a half, 285 pounds, but he's got real long arms. He's got 34 inch or 34 and a quarter inch arms, something like that. He's strong and he runs a four, four, nine. Now how many deep interior defensive linemen run four, four, nine besides none. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, he's a, he's a freak athlete. So, you're gonna, yeah, underwear Olympics. You're gonna might you might be you know stretching a little bit on, mm-hmm. but the traits are rare. And then when you see him play at what his natural position is, you know you go, wow. Yes. Yeah. You know. So, but like I say, that he's not he's not for everybody. So yeah. He's a, he's a fascinating prospect in this draft. What I call him is is I, I put him in that I call him twenty. You've heard me use this phrase before: twenty to forty guys. Yes. And, yes. and there's a grouping of players after your first, you know, nineteen twenty guys. There's another grouping of players that are very similar in ability, and mm-hmm. different teams are going to rate them differently. But you know, it wouldn't shock me if he goes twenty twenty one. It wouldn't shock me if he goes. 39, 40, 41. But, you know, somewhere in that area, that's where he's going to, I think he's going to end up going. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Nomad says, Greg loves offensive linemen so much, so wondering which players he thinks are day one starters. So let me do this. Let me put up that list of offensive tackles Is that I put. Uh, okay. Uh, so tell, tell me uh, which of these offensive uh, tackles. Is the day one starter. Broderick Jones is a day one starter. No, what? Let's clarify this. Okay. If, if if you get drafted by a team that's already got two pretty good tackles, 
Good point. Okay. Then that might take away from the equation. So say you're, you're, you're getting drafted by a team with a need. Good okay. Harris okay. Johnson is a day one starter. Broderick Jones is a day one starter. In most cases, Anton Harrison is a day one starter. Darnell Wright is a day one starter. Dewan Jones has to be in the right situation. In other words, if he was drafted and Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy was here, he could potentially have been a, a day one starter in that offensive scheme with that line coach, Juan Castillo. Mm-hmm. Here, they aren't going to draft him, and he wouldn't be a starter. He might not even make the team because he cannot play in that offense. I love I think Matthew Bergeron is one of the most underrated players in this draft, and especially for this scheme. Wayne Morris is that he's the right tackle at Oklahoma, right? Correct. I don't like him. Um, I don't like him at all. I don't like Freeland that much. Tyler Steen, you know, played he has played right tackle. He's a played left, he started off at Vandy, he was a four-year starter at Vandy. Uh, and then he had his COVID year that he could use. So he goes to transfers to Alabama, plays left tackle there. Uh, you know, he's probably going to go in the third round. If he gets in the right situation, he could start um, right away, but he's probably a backup year one. The guy behind him, you got Jalen Duncan, like right here. If he was drafted here and, and you would take Jalen somewhere in the second round, mm-hmm. he'd be a day one starter here. Uh, Saldivari's a guard. Um and I don't see any of those other guys coming in and being day one starters. At- I, I like this question from Ramsey. He says, uh, love uh, your analysis, Greg. Uh, shouldn't the tape outweigh our measurable measurables? The main measurable is required that, that is required is the tape. The eye in the sky never lies. Bad measurables, but good tape. Sap, Donald, Randall. Just defensive interior defensive linemen. All three of them. So the arm measurables aren't an issue there. And Donald and Donald was 32 and a half on a guy who's six feet tall, six mm-hmm. feet a half inch, which is the same as Tommy Harris, which was uh six two and a half, six two and three quarters. And Warren Sapp also had over 32 inch arms, and he was you know barely six feet tall. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe six foot a half inch something like that, uh, and was a three technique. You're you're fine with thirty two and a quarter, thirty two and a half inch arms playing the three technique to tackle, where length becomes important as a defensive end, so edge and offensive tackle. Like Gar Olin Kruitz was like. 31 and three quarter inch arms, and he, you know, could go in the Hall of Fame uh, as a center. Um, right now, the one of the best guards in, in, in football is Zach Martin with the Cowboys. He's got 32 and a half inch arms. You know, he was a tackle in college. So it, it's interior. It's not as important a measurement as it is for the tackles. The tackles, it's all about leverage. You're playing guys with long arms, and I go in, you know, the 
to joke around, you know, the old cartoon when we were kids and you'd have the the bully and he'd have his arm out like this, holding the guy with the short arms and the other guy's like this and he's not even getting halfway there. You know, it's leverage. It's what it's all about. All about. All right. Uh, I got another question here. Um, King uh, Book World. I've been wondering this too, because uh, Nate Davis is, is apparently, according to many, going to play the right guard position. Is Jenkins moving to the left guard? What now, do I, you was, hear? I was told specifically Jenkins is playing right guard and, and Davis is playing left guard. From now, a very high source, let's just put okay, it that so, way. Um, and that was right after the, you know, like within an hour of the signing. Mm -hmm. Um and I think it was referred to at the press conference. And, yeah. But then they said, you know, we'll sort it all out. Yeah. So what's going to probably happen is the off-season program starts next Monday. Now, the first week of the off-season program, they're doing nothing but conditioning and weightlifting. You know, they're not, they can do some classroom stuff, but they're not going on the field and doing stuff. And then when they start doing that, you're going to have – you know, Coach Morgan start working with these guys out on the field, and then you're going to get into OTAs once you get into, um, you know, the end of May and then the first part of June. You're going to do some experimentation. Mm -hmm. You're going to put Kevin on the left side, you're going to Davis on the right side, and vice versa. And so, and then they're going to say, okay, what's the best for the Chicago Bears? And if you recall the press conference, Davis said, I can play either side. Yes, he did. Okay. And and because the thing, so. It's a great freeze frame of, of Greg there. He looks like he's um, eyeing a somebody coming into his office. <laughs> and he's reaching back for his weapon. <laughs> Uh, I think we've lost Greg here, so let me do this and see if he'll uh, – <laughs> yep, we have lost him. <laughs> um, I will uh, – I will. I, I want to address this question here. Uh, CJ says, to follow up, does that mean uh, that it makes sense – does it make more sense to move Davis to the right guard position? You know, and I, and I saw that question, uh, CJ, and I thought to myself, maybe – Tevin Jenkins doesn't have a future with the Chicago Bears. I, I've been wondering this actually for several weeks now. Um, so I think Greg is popping back in here. Hey, hey there we are. That froze up and then I lost it, said you lost. Yeah. Get back in. Um, by the way, so uh, this brings up uh, uh, an interesting topic. So is it possible that the Bears – don't consider Tevin Jenkins a long-term solution at the guard position. They know he can play well, but there's just been this aura of, you know, he didn't practice. He, you know, there was the rough start at camp last week. Could there be some personality issues here? No, that's not the impression I've gotten. Okay. I, it could it? Yeah, anything's possible. Mm -hmm. But in, in some conversations and texts, Message that that's not what I've seen. Okay. 
<laughs> I, uh, by the way, when when you froze up, there was this really great image of you kind of looking like you were reaching back for a weapon because somebody was coming into your office. <laughs> and no, I have no on. guns in my house. <laughs> I do have a sledgehammer, though. <laughs> I was going to say you got an AR, bro. And, I, and I got and I have an old driver over in the laundry room. I didn't, <laughs> Uh, if somebody them. if somebody tried to break in, I, you know, I'm I'm teeing it up. <laughs> and and you've got Bennett, who's about the size of uh, Keith Van Horn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, let me see if I got another question or two here to finish things up. Oh, Robert asked this question about an hour and a half ago. I want to try to squeeze it in here an hour ago. Uh, he says. He would love to hear the private eye stories on Lawrence Taylor. <laughs> oh, I, I don't have any. I, I don't have those. Those are. I, I was too young to ask questions. <laughs> I only got what I was told. <laughs> okay. Um, Rich uh, Doggy Dog says, you know, he keeps seeing these mocks and Skaronsky's going to Bears. Daniel Jeremiah has Skaronsky going to Bears. And he knows that you've been saying Skaronsky's arms are too short for the guard position. So he says, what if the Bears fall in love with him and want him to play guard? What are they going to do at the tackle position? They got to go out and get one unless they think Tevin could play tackle, but they moved him inside because they didn't think he could play tackle. Yeah. So, I mean, that that answers your question. Right. Right, and I know they're they're high on him. I, let's mm -hmm. look at the tape now. The the tape last year, when he was healthy, that mm -hmm. bitch was like one of the best guards in football. Not just good, mm -hmm. he was outstanding. Mm -hmm. And I agree with Mr. Sanders there, saying let's please stop moving Tevin around. I'm not a big fan of that. I know that in today's NFL, versatility is a prime commodity. They want offensive linemen. They, you know, in practice, they they have all the offensive linemen playing different positions. I don't remember that happening, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. They put an offensive lineman at his spot. That's where he practiced all the time. But during camp, we're seeing a lot of experimentation. Well, part, part of it is this. It's generally speaking. Now, last year, I know that they went with eight offensive linemen mm -hmm. a lot on Sunday. But for the most part, most teams dress seven. And so you've got to have versatility. Mm -hmm. And so your seven – your two reserves that are dressing aren't necessarily your sixth and seventh guy. Mm -hmm. They're your two most versatile guys, you know, that can play more than one position. So you got to have somebody who can play tackle. You got to have play somebody who can play guard and center and, mm -hmm. and whatever. But you, you do that jumping around in camp really for in case you get in an emergency situation in, in, in a game. You get some injuries and you got to move some people around. You got to figure out, okay, what can I do? So it's really precautionary. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, we got a question from Michael uh, asking who is the best three tech fit in the second round? Let me rephrase that question to make it a little easier. To I don't respond. think there's a lot of three techs in this draft, period. Yes. Uh, that's a great point because I was, uh, you know, thinking about that when I was doing a mock the other week. I'm going to name some defensive tackles, and you tell me whether they can play the three-tech in the National Football League, at least based well, on what you've it, seen. It, it, it's, can they play it in this game? Right. Okay, good. So rephrasing the question that way. Brian Breesey. 
No. Keanu Benton. No. Gervon Dexter Sr. Maybe. Ooh, okay. You you've gone from a null to a maybe now. Six yeah. foot six, uh, three hundred and ten pounds. Ran a four point eight eight at the yeah. combine. Okay, interesting. Jacqueline Roy. I, Frank, I don't know much about Jacqueline Roy from no, LSU. That's LSU. I I don't know that he he's not that good a football player. So okay, he's all right. Jared Clark from uh, I don't know where this kid is from, uh, but he's six four, three hundred thirty four pounds. No way no. he's going to play the three tech. No. no. <laughs> so really, I, I don't need to go through. Yeah, any but there's some ends like Keon White. Okay, good point. Keon White, uh, the defensive end from Michigan, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is a three. Age of three. Um, the kid Brooks from Bowling Green would be mm -hmm. a three. Who Julie played Julie. and. Yeah, uh, who played end at uh, Bowling Green. Mm -hmm. So those guys, and historically, some of your – your uh, okay, the Colts got Brenson Buckner. He wouldn't end in San Francisco. He didn't end in college. You mm -hmm. know, and then he was a tackle, too, at San Francisco. But it, it's, it's guys that have the traits mm -hmm. to be able to, to – <coughs> excuse me, play the position – they have to be athletic. They have to be explosive. They have to be penetrators and disruptive. Now, it's a one-gap scheme. So you're not playing head up on a guard. Mm -hmm. You're in the gap, you know, between the guard and the tackle or the center and the guard. You to the guard and the tackle. And your job is to shoot that gap, get penetration, and disrupt the run game. Not necessarily make the tackle, but disrupt the game. Mm -hmm. You know, make the back change direction. And, and so, and, and it's a gaff control defense. So there's like all the way across the line, they're supposed to, it, it's a disciplined defense. So you have to, nobody can freelance because when you freelance, you're leaving a open gap, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Indeed. I, and I, I, I kind of agree with Nomad. Uh, I don't strongly agree with Nomad, but he strongly disagrees with you about Keanu Benton. What I, the Keanu Benton. I know, you I, keep going back to the senior bowl <laughs> exactly. where, you know, he showed, he showed a little boof, but then you go put on the tape at, 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 he's a nose tackle at Wisconsin. He plays like a nose tackle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here he'd be a one technique. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you look at the best threes mm -hmm. and what their traits are and how they run. And like Tommy Harris, four, six, eight, Tank Johnson was four, seven, two. All these guys are, you know, sub the real good ones. Warren Sapp, so mm -hmm. they're all sub four, nine guys, you know, and th then you got a guy and, and they've got very explosive movement. I know I, I saw what he did at the at the senior bowl. And mm -hmm. but reality is that in, in this defense, he's a one. Now mm -hmm. Brenson Bucker, his workouts say, well, maybe he's a four-nine guy, but you go back and you watch the tape, no. It has worked pretty good, but you go back and you and you look at the tape of Clemson, he's he played nose at Clemson for Christ's sake. Yeah. For most of the case, yeah. or or one technique, he's never out the three. All right, 
Fascinating stuff, uh, Greg. We just hit the 90-minute mark, and so what I want to let people know is that we've got tons of more draft and Bears coverage throughout the week right here, and we've got tons of stuff already archived that you can find here on our YouTube channel or where you get your audio podcast. Just search Barroom Network. Really appreciate the over 200 people that stopped by in the chat room and the thousands that will be watching this on demand. Let people know about the Barroom Network, the work they're doing, and if you want exclusive scouting reports, tailor-made for Bears fans, all you got to do is go to our Patreon page. Let me put that up on the screen for people. Uh, Patreon page, excuse me, patreon.com forward slash barroom draft. And also, why don't you please read Greg's articles over at the Windy City Gridiron.com? Greg Gabriel, you are the absolute best. I'm going to let you go and we will see you next week. Okay, brother? Sounds good. Talk to you later. Thank you, everybody. Okay. Bye bye. Goodbye.